Hello, welcome to the Melinda Eitzen Show. I'm Melinda. I'm a divorce lawyer and I've been helping people divorce for 29 years. And the reason that I have been interested in this work and have enjoyed doing it is I like helping people through a hard time. And I'm hoping this podcast can also be helpful and maybe provide some good resources for you. And for our very first episode, we're so happy to have with us someone else in a helping profession, Dr. Honey Chef. Hi, Melinda. We're so glad to have you, honey. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored. So, honey, you're a mental health professional. And what I've learned, I work with a lot of mental health professionals, as you know, because people going through a divorce need to be in counseling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes their divorce was caused because of an underlying problem, maybe mental health, maybe substance abuse. But what I've learned is every mental health professional doesn't do every type of mental health service that's that true each of you has a focus maybe by preference or training and background what is your focus so my practice has really evolved over the 40 almost 45 years <laughs> maybe more than that that i've been working um and so originally it starts out very broad and I service um, all different types of disorders. But over time, my practice has really evolved into a very heavy divorce focus. So the majority of my work is family law driven and divorce driven in a variety of capacities. I've been so lucky to know you for 20 years, I think. <laughs> this is true. This is true. And we have worked together so much. Yes. So Honey and I have been blessed to work together in collaborative and we work together on collaborative teams and we've done some training and teaching together. So Honey, tell our audience, what is collaborative divorce? So um, collaborative divorce is an alternative dispute resolution process, which is a lot of big words that basically mean we are trying and working at keeping couples who are restructuring their lives out of the courtroom by providing them with a much more family-focused, family-friendly, um, family-emphasized process to uncouple and move forward with their lives as a divorced co-parents or just as a divorced couple. And logistically, when we're doing this work together, we're sitting at a table as a team, right? And we have a lawyer for each client and then you serve as a neutral mental health professional on the team and we typically have a neutral financial professional that's correct so are you there doing therapy for them is that why you're there no absolutely <laughs> not it is not a role um, it's not a therapeutic role I would be lying if I said I didn't hope that the work that I did with the couple in the process provided therapeutic benefit but it is not counseling um, the neutral mental, so, so there are two roles that a neutral mental health professional can um, serve in the collaborative process. One role is as the neutral mental health professional, and the other is as the child specialist. And I have worked in both roles. So the neutral mental health professional role um, is one where I am essentially the train conductor. <laughs> trying to keep the train on the tracks moving forward so that I'm working in managing the team, 
right? The two attorneys, the financial professional, facilitating communication, keeping us moving forward, keeping us on track. I also then work with the couple. Now, if the couple has children, I'm going to work with them in my office doing a parenting plan that is required for a divorce decree. Um, so we call those meetings offline meetings because it's outside the main line of the training process. Um, and I work with them offline to help them create the necessary um, parenting plan that goes, quite frankly, above and beyond what the family code would require, which sets the clients up for establishing a really solid foundation for their future co-parenting relationship. When there aren't children, I also work with the couple and do the same thing for both sets, one of which is um, to facilitate communication between the couple, um, no matter whether there are children or not. Um, it is a hugely educational role that I serve. So I'm helping the couple develop better communication skills. So many times um, the husband and wife may say, you know, if we'd had this before <laughs> we were here, we might not be here. The other thing I do is I manage the emotions on the team. So I manage the emotions for the clients because getting divorced is an extremely emotional process. And then I also manage the emotions and communication for the lawyers and the financial professional because our communication, our emotions play into the process also. I've learned so much in working on teams with you and with other mental health professionals. And I have observed exactly what you said, that some people, they're communicating better post-divorce than they ever did while they were married because we're teaching them how. Exactly. And that is a huge, that's why I said it's not a counseling role, but I hope that there's therapeutic benefit from the work that I do. And because I'm a neutral, um, that is a magical hat that I wear because I'm not aligned with the husband. I'm not aligned with the wife. I am working for their family, for their relationship. And sometimes I may have to call the husband out. Sometimes I may have to call the wife out, but I'm doing it from a neutral perspective. And so therefore it has way more credibility than I would as a therapist, where I might be seen as more aligned with one or the other. There's a lot of power in the neutral voice. One way I think about it and explain it to my clients is, if I make a suggestion, it's met with suspicion, right? By the other party. So if I represent the wife, the husband's like, hmm, she's making a suggestion on behalf of my wife. Why is that bad for me? <laughs> and it right? comes much better from either the neutral financial professional or the neutral mental health professional. The other role that I serve in this process is as the child specialist. And obviously there are children. Now, one of the myths is that the child specialist only works with children under the age of 18. In this process, the child specialist can work with children under 18 as well as adult children. Because quite frankly, adult children often get forgotten when their parents are divorcing. And we are seeing so much more what we call the gray divorce, which are divorce of, of 20, 25, 30. I have one now that's getting divorced that's, they've been married 45 years. 
And so those children often get forgotten. And so having an adult child specialist can be equally as useful. So the child specialist role um, provides the child's voice. It helps educate and inform the parents as to what matters to their children, what they care about, what they're afraid of, what they worry about. Um, it provides the children with a voice. They don't get a vote, and they understand that from the beginning, but they do get a voice. And one of the things we've learned is that the child specialist giving that children a voice and then feeding that information back to the parents helps not only educate the parents, helps them make way better decisions, but in addition, the children feel valued because their parents cared enough to find out what matters to them. And think about it, when there are children involved, it's not their decision. They are simply, in many ways, the victims of their parents' inability to stay married. Mm -hmm. And giving them value in the process can be tremendously helpful to their adjustment. I love it when I have a child specialist in a case. I've had great success with that. I had one instance where one thing we needed to do was tell the child to quit trying to influence one of the parents. So by giving the child a voice through the child specialist, the child could relax a little bit. It was a young adult. Exactly. <laughs> College age. And in fact, I think the very first adult child specialist was a case that we had together. And it was magical. Mm -hmm. And to me, when the collaborative process works the way it's supposed to work, mm -hmm. it has the potential to be magical. I agree. I agree. Now, I think a misunderstanding about collaborative is that it's only appropriate for people who are really amicable and they get along and they're doing kumbaya. Is that true? Well, that would be so lovely <laughs> <laughs> if that was always the case. Now, I will say certainly that makes the process go smoother when that is the description but absolutely not. I mean, divorce is hard work. And one of the things that I do think is a myth is that, oh, we all sit around and we hold hands and we sing Kumbaya and we make nice. That is really not true. It is hard. In fact, I think in some ways the collaborative process could even be harder for clients because think about it. You and your soon-to-be ex-spouse are sitting next to each other around a table doing the heavy lifting, doing the hard work, talking about what matters to you, talking about what you need and what you want and why, and you are doing the negotiating, certainly with the support and the help of your attorneys and the mental health professional and the financial professional, but that's much harder than hiding behind the, your attorney and just throwing bombs, right? Your attorney is just throwing bombs across the way, which is what happens in litigation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you are not only involved in doing this work every day, but we have an organization in Texas called Collaborative Divorce Texas, and you are a prior president of that organization. That is correct. And I think um, that is one of my biggest honors. When you think about a, uh, an organization that is um, developed and arose in the context of a legal process. And they chose to have a mental health professional as their leader for almost a year and a half at that time. 
Well, you, I also remember you won an award. Yes. For all of your service in that regard. It was a lot of work. Yes. So what's the point of the organization and how does it serve uh, regular people who might be interested to know more about Collaborative? So Collaborative Divorce Texas has actually two, they have a members only website. So it services and provides resources and information for their members, but they also have a Facebook page and the website itself is designed for the public. So it provides um, information about what Collaborative Divorce is and what it isn't. There are blog posts. There are um, profiles for attorneys, for mental health professionals, and for financial professionals so that if you are looking or interested in learning more about co the collaborative process, that is a great resource for you to look for professionals to help you as well as information about the process and resources for you. What is the website for Collaborative Divorce Texas? It is collaborativedivorcetexas.com. <laughs> Pretty easy. Yes. <laughs> and our hashtag is Divorce Differently uh, because that is really what the collaborative process is designed to do is to help couples, if you are facing divorce, to divorce differently. One thing I noticed in doing this work is people like the process for different reasons. I like it because of the creativity it allows. Like you're not getting a cookie cutter result like you might in the court system because the judges are limited by the law, they're limited by time. In collaborative, we can be really listening for what is that family's needs and do something very specific to them. But I found that that may not be why individual client is attracted to the process or other professionals. What attracts you to it? So um, can I speak to the what I think also yes. attracts clients? Yes, yes. Because one of the things I think I neglected to say in describing the process, it is completely confidential. So when I say that it keeps you out of a courtroom, what that also means, it is completely confidential and protected. It is private. So that I think the privacy, divorce is a very personal very emotional process for people. The privacy is a tremendous um, draw for a lot of people. I also think the creativity and I think the empowerment, and those are the two things that I am passionate about. Because to me, the collaborative process allows you to be creative. So I'll digress for a minute. I was in a mediation recently where I was assisting the mediator. It was not a collaborative case. And even though mediation is supposed to be an alternative dispute resolution process, again, a process alternative to um, the traditional litigation, I was struck by how limiting even mediation can be mm -hmm. and how rigid the attorneys were in not being able to creatively problem solve for their clients to better meet their clients' needs and their interests. So collaborative operates from an interest-based negotiation. And what that means is we are looking at ways and problem-solving ways to meet your needs, not your positions, not your wants. It's the needs behind the wants. And in doing that, 
it allows us to brainstorm and take what might look like a very limited pie and broaden the ways that we can meet people's needs so they walk away, not win-lose, which is what traditional litigation is, but win-win. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the, the other thing that I love about it, that, that, that means the most to me, is that it empowers people to make their own decisions. It gives them the control, not a judge who, quite frankly, will tell you they don't care about those clients. I mean, in that instance, they are obligated to do what the law says. That is what they have to do. They are a trier effect. For these clients in collaborative, you are looking at being able to make your own decisions for your family that affects you for the rest of your lives. Absolutely. I wouldn't say our judges don't care, but I will say they don't have time to get to know this family and they have limited time and they're limited by the rules of the law. So they cannot do something custom made for every family. They just don't have that luxury. I would agree. So, honey, I know that a lot of your practice is helping people like me in collaborative cases, <laughs> but what else do you do? Do you still do therapy? Do you see individuals who are maybe going through a divorce or just having need a little coaching in life? Thank you for asking. Yes, um, my practice is sort of um, trifurcated. So obviously a huge part of what I do is collaborative divorce because that really is my passion. Um, the second third of what I do um, is providing co-parenting counseling services or co-parenting services either as a parenting coordinator or a co-parenting counselor for parents who are either going through divorce or who are already divorced. And those cases are typically very high conflict cases. Also providing education, communication, um, helping people resolve disputes, but it's po typically post-divorce. And again, it's typically um, high conflict. The last third of my practice is therapy. Um, I still do traditional therapy. Um, I do a lot of marital counseling. So I am looking at helping clients at the front end who either are simply trying to improve their relationship, they've hit a rough patch, or they want to be sure that their relationship doesn't continue to have problems, or they are um, people that are trying to avoid a divorce. And so I get involved at the front end where I'm trying to keep people from that ultimate outcome. And so I also work with individuals going through divorce. I work with children and adolescents whose parents are divorcing. And then I also do um, some traditional therapy for anxiety and depression. But as I said earlier, the bulk of my practice is divorce-driven. So on the parent coordination piece or the co-parenting piece, we are so appreciative of you and people like you who do that work because these are people who they're not able to communicate effectively enough to make day-to-day -day decisions sometimes for their children. And maybe there's a dispute about what's happening with a religious right, right? There's a religious right coming up. They don't agree whose church that it should occur in 
or maybe they have a disagreement about something surrounding another life event for the child, like graduation, how are we handling that? And it just really helps them to be able to come to someone like you to talk through that. You're not the decider, right? No, absolutely You're not. facilitating, but you're facilitating a healthy, constructive decision about it and discussion instead of trying to go to a judge for that. And that was our only alternative before this role was created in the family code of a parent coordinator is if they couldn't sort it out, we would literally go to court and have a big fight about this stuff. And again, the judges are not, they don't know these people. They're going to have a 30 minute hearing and then decide some huge thing about this child's religious right or what's going to happen in a big life event for this child. It doesn't really make sense. So, Thank you for doing that work. It's not the easy work. No, that is probably the most difficult part of my practice. Yes, it's the hard work, right? Yes. <laughs> but we need it. And I have seen success. Not all cases are, you know, some people, doesn't matter what tool we give them, they're not going to do it. But I've had some cases where that was really all they needed was a reasonable person with a therapeutic background. <laughs> right, but to serve sometimes simply as a translator, right? Because their communication has gotten so bad that they just do not understand. Yes. Yes. And one is talking Greek and one is talking Russian and they don't have any idea what the other one is saying. And sometimes it's simply being able to translate and reframe because the role again is neutral and being able to provide a reframe of what's being said allows the other client, the husband or the wife, to be able to hear what is actually intended. We always hear that the key to a good relationship is communication and that sounds so trite, right? Oh, just communicate. It also sounds easy. But it isn't easy, is it? No, as most <laughs> things in life that sound easy and should be easy, they really aren't. And sometimes I wonder if you think about that we all wear filters. Um, I wear a filter on my ear. I w wear a filter on my brain. I wear a filter on my mouth. It's amazing. If you honestly think about it, you wear those same filters that what's starting in my head, actually leaving my mouth, gets to your ear and your head in the way that I intended. Quite frankly, it's really somewhat miraculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, and with the younger generation, they're, a lot of their communication is through text. So they're losing body language, tone. They just have the printed word. And so that is, in fact, one of the things that I do when I'm um, working with couples and creating the parenting plan. Remember, I said a lot of it is communication training. Well, there's a whole section in the parenting plan on communicating. And one of the things that I always tell the couples I work with is um, we have all been co-opted by the millennial generation and to be able to do the majority of our communication by text. And so... Texts are simply words on a screen, but what do we do? We read emotion into it. We read motivation into it. We read intention into it. And then we react to all of those things, even though it's simply words on a screen. And so we, I have rules with the clients about this is what you do if, in this situation. This is what you use email for. This is what you use a phone call for. I mean, 
honestly, and this is what you meet at Starbucks for a half hour to talk about. <laughs> yes, because there is a time and place for in-person communication, person to person. Now, everything we've said today, we're not talking about people who've been victims of domestic violence. So people who've been victims of domestic violence, there needs to be special care to protect those people and not allow them to be re-victimized. So in collaborative, we could still handle a case that had domestic violence collaboratively, but we might, for example, not have them in the same room, correct? That is correct. Remember I said one of the beauties of collaborative is um, the creativity. So not only creativity in terms of problem solving, but creativity in terms of process. In fact, if we know that somebody has been a victim of domestic violence and they are still wanting to do collaborative, that option is available to them, but it has to be an incredibly informed decision in ways that ensure their safety and security and their comfort. And so in fact, um, Melinda, as an attorney, before you can even engage in the collaborative process, you need to screen for domestic violence. You have a whole tool that you have to go through to be sure that we are addressing the needs of the clients, correct? Oh, absolutely. And what I've learned is the way to ask the question is not, have you been a victim of domestic violence? People don't know what that means. So I say, has he or she ever pushed you? Has he or she ever restrained you? Because that's usually how we see it starting. And without intervention, it tends to escalate. So we wanna be sensitive to that no matter what. Honey, because in reality, many, many victims mm -hmm. of domestic violence do not identify themselves as victims of domestic violence. What's so hard about that, helping that community is, you have to break them out of it enough to recognize that they're in an unhealthy situation. It's become their normal. That's right. It's sad. But we're here to help. <laughs> in all ways that we can. Exactly. So, um, Dr. Chef, how can people reach you if they would like to reach out and uh, use any of your services or get more information about you? Thank you for asking. So my website is drchef.com and chef is spelled S-H-E-F-F. -F, there's no C. So that would be drchef.com. My email is honey, H-O-N-E-Y, at drchef.com. And my office phone number where you will speak first with Didi, my admin, is 972-733-0075. So great to have you with so us. So wonderful, and I'm so excited to be your first guest. <laughs> well, <I laughs> Truly an honor. I think of a better person. Thank you so much. So before we wrap, I want to give you the tip for the day. So you heard um, Honey talk a little bit about one of the things she offers is premarital help. Help people premarital or during their marriage to stay married. And I like to, from a divorce lawyer's perspective, encourage people to have a healthy marriage because we see what can cause it to distract. One thing I encourage is see a therapist. You can call him a therapist or a marriage counselor or a marriage coach if that makes you feel better, but see one regularly. We all, I think, understand it's normal and appropriate to go get a physical for our body on an annual basis and make sure 
you know, everything preventative we need to be doing, we're doing, or at least know if we're not, it's a, it's an informed decision. <laughs> if I ate too many cookies, at least I know. Um, we should do the same for our marriages. You don't want to wait until you're at the total crisis and because it's, sometimes it's hard to recover from that. And I've seen so many cases where I thought if they just had an intervention a year ago or two years ago, um, then they could have saved it. But what happens is people mourn the marriage while they're in it. So mm. you want to do that work regularly. It's just an hour, go for an hour and have a little checkup because we all could use improvement on our communication and we could all invest a little bit more time in our marriages to make them what we want them to be. So that's the tip for today. Thank you so much for listening and please come back next time. We would love to have your comments or feedback or ideas of what you'd like to hear on the podcast. And you can reach me at melinda at d-elaw.com. Thank you.